This is Inside the New South Wales Police Force. Real cops, real stories. I'm your host, Adam Shand. This week, we go inside Strike Force Trawler, the team from the Sexual Offences Squad targeting the online predators going after our unsuspecting children. I always tell people there's nothing more satisfying than putting a pair of handcuffs on a pedophile. And after 15 years at the academy and thousands of recruits, the protocol instructor, Sergeant Tony Wade, has broken the news the attestation of Class 357 will be Tony Wade's last. Yes, I did hear some news, Mr Wade. One yes, it's true. One mm. So when's your last class? Tomorrow? No, This podcast is sponsored by Police Bank. Since 1964, Police Bank has stood for the financial well-being of police their families, friends, and communities. As it's member-owned, they're able to offer more competitive rates for their customers. Whatever is next on your horizon, Police Bank can help you get there sooner. This episode involves discussions of child sexual exploitation. If you feel troubled after listening to this, please call Lifeline on 13 11 44. If you have information that could help police protect children, please call Crime Stoppers on one 800 Triple three, triple zero. So my name is Detective Chief Inspector Chris Goddard. Currently attached to the State Crime Command Sex Crime Squad. I'm the Investigations Coordinator of the Child Exploitation Internet Unit, and I've been in the New South Wales Police Force for just over 33 years. Protecting our children is probably the highest priority for our community, especially in the online world, where all manner of predators lurk. And too often, things are not what they seem. New South Wales Police has been going after the people who seek to groom and sexually exploit our children with Strike Force Trawler since 2005. It's one of the most successful proactive squads in the force. Trawler officers pose online as potential victims for these offenders, turning the tables on their evil plans. Where once the internet was a free-for-all, online offenders can now never be sure when Trawler will be knocking on their doors. I'm joined now by the investigations coordinator, Detective Chief Inspector Chris Goddard. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Adam. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Of all the squads that I've been in contact with, this one seems to be more about proactivity than most. Am I right there? Yeah, you're 100% right there. Our whole sole aim in this online space is to be proactive. Unfortunately, you know, child sexual exploitation is becoming more and more prevalent, proliferation of the internet, more exposure online, online learning, more and more people working from home these days. We see that the, the online space is an area that's growing. Subsequently, you know, offenders take advantage of that um, and try and groom and exploit children. So the role of Trawler is is really to prevent and disrupt crime from happening in that online space. We try and get in and respond to crime. We've got increased capability in this area. And what we try and do is prevent and disrupt these, these offenders from actually going out and contact offending against our most vulnerable being kids. I think what one of Trawler's big, big public interest matters is that you've really uncovered the profile of these sort of people. And there is no profile. They come from all walks of life. There is no stereotype. Yeah, you're 100% right. Gone are the days of the, you know, the quintessential deviant looking pedophile, for want of a better term. But these days, we we come across people from all walks of life, from, you know, professional businessmen, to tradies, to students, to, you know, academics, to professionals. 
all sorts of demographics are represented in this space, which is sort of goes to show that there is no sort of stereotypical or quintessential online offender anymore. And you're only getting, I guess, a, a tip of the iceberg, the ones you can actually target and then work enforcement around them. So how big is the problem in your opinion? Oh, look, I, I mean, I guess the answer to that's how long is a piece of string. You know, we, we have a fairly extensive online footprint. We work with our partner agencies, both national and international, in order to try and address this problem. I don't think it's an issue that we're going to arrest our way out of. And it's sort of an area where, you know, you've heard the phrase, it takes a village. Uh, online safety is everybody's responsibility. Police being online, having a presence online should be a massive deterrent to people because not only do we do this in New South Wales, this is both national and international. We work with, you know, the Australian Federal Police and our counterparts at the Australian Centre to Child Ex- uh, Counter Child Exploitation and as well as international partners as well. So, you know, people can never be really too sure who they're talking to online. And without sort of disclosing too much of our methodology, suffice to say that we do have a significant footprint in the online space across the country, really. So you put a team together. How many in the, in the squad? So in our team, we've got, uh, there's 25, including myself. So I have um, four teams that work in the online space across a myriad of different platforms and a different ways to address online child exploitation. And I'm told by others that the morale in Trawler is very high. Is that true? And how is that represented? Yeah, look, I think it is. It's an area where if you have to motivate yourself to get out of bed in the morning, you're probably in the wrong job. You know, we have regular team meetings, regular team interactions to discuss and talk about our cases, to talk about, you know, new and innovative ways to address child exploitation online. Morale's pretty high. You know, we have statewide responsibility in Trawler. So one minute we could be sitting at, in our office at police headquarters and the next day, you know, I've had to deploy a team to the north coast or the south coast or out central west somewhere to address this. The team are extremely motivated. They're, they're very well led by the detective sergeants in the unit. Everybody has a passion. You know, most of the people in the unit are either parents themselves or they have a real vested interest in looking after our kids across the state. But it's also fairly traumatic. This is, this is heinous, this offending. It really strikes at the heart of a lot of our worst fears. How do you choose officers to be in this role where they're in the front line protecting these children? Yeah, it's a good question. We have a um, we have a fairly extensive recruitment process where we go through interviews and psychometric testing. We like to have our staff when they come in, Adam, to sort of have some sort of exposure already, whether that be at um, police area commands or police districts, to have some sort of understanding of what they're getting themselves into. I've been doing this type of work for 12 years now, and we have a, a fairly rigorous welfare framework in place that's implemented by the New South Wales Police Force in order to make sure that we're not overexposed to this type of, like you said, heinous crime on a daily basis. Because after 12 years, you'd probably know the red flags, the signals when someone's got a problem or two. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we have um, what we call well checks, which are quarterly assessments with our police psychologists. Anybody who, you know, has red flags or anyone like that, we can refer to them outside of that three-month period. There's a significant, I guess, investment in the in the welfare of the staff because the last thing we want to do is break anybody, for want of a better term. Those red flags or, you know, somebody's proactive and puts their hand up and says, you know, look, boss, I can't take this anymore. I need to go. Well, then, you know, you go with my blessing. Danny Doherty in Homicide, he says that the perfect homicide detective has a certain calmness about them when everything else is spinning around them and so forth. They're calmly building a case step by step. So when they get to court, it's going to stick. How important is calmness as an attribute in your world? 
Yeah, look, it, it is. It's like Mr. Doherty said. It is a significant factor in us because you know we have fairly good, rigorous structures in place around our online activities and our evidence capturing and that type of thing. I guess at the end of the day, what we're there to do is protect kids, right? So the last thing you want to do is lose your cool and jeopardise something that you know a court matter dismissed or something like that. Typically, how long do these operations tend to last? There is no real standard. Um, you know, I'd like to be able to say the average one lasts for you know a week or two weeks or whatever. Adam, we can have an investigation that has a lifespan of 24 hours. We could be online engaging and the person commits a you know a fairly, fairly serious offence and we risk assess all of our jobs. You know, do they have access to children? What role do they play in society? What's their employment? You know, what's the state of their offending? Because you know, rest assured, mate, if they're talking to us, they're probably talking to other kids as well. In most areas of crime, it's an arms race between the police and the crooks. And I'd imagine these online offenders are aware of your presence and they're now modifying their behaviour. Yeah, look, it is. I mentioned before the proliferation of the internet and the development of apps and these things that just, you know, just sort of appear overnight. You know, we have to try and maintain that. Um, we have to try and maintain the maintain the rage, so to speak, keep ahead with technology. Wherever We're forever looking at ways of increasing our stuff, our online technology. We're continually liaising with, you know, agencies like ACE, as I mentioned before, the AFP. We work in well with Homeland Security from the US if necessary, other agencies. We have tentacles across the world, I guess. If we need something, we can generally get something pretty readily. Crooks are always a step ahead and sometimes the legislation doesn't keep up with technology and crooks know that, you know, so it's about us to working the best with we can with, you know, our prosecutorial authorities and, and our own internal technology commands to work out the best way to attack and prevent these people from continuing to offend by, by use of enhanced technology. You're clearly in the job that you're meant for. You belong in this job. What's been your path to it? Well, I joined the cops 33 years ago progressed through the ranks to a detective and then um, into a crime manager's role. And I guess it was about, you know, 2008, eight nine that I sort of started managing child sex offenders at the police area commands. Got a little bit of an interest in that. Um, I then had the opportunity to go to the, to the then child abuse squad back in about 2011 and seeing and hearing about shocking cases of child sexual assault, neglect, physical abuse and that type of thing sort of really struck a chord with me. I then spent a few years doing contact offending work. I then moved over to the Child Protection Registry, where I actually was responsible statewide for the management of everyone who's on our state's Child Protection Register. So they're convicted sex, child sex offenders. Did that for about five years and then moved into the online space about three years ago. Bit of a whirlwind journey, but yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, it, to me, it's an interesting task. It reminds me of when Hercules was asked to clean out the Aegean stables. An endless job, in other words. How do you maintain a sense of mission when the sexual dysfunction in society is growing and it's got this portal called the internet to express itself and now to connect with potential victims? How do you maintain a sense of mission when you feel like you must be fighting the tide? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, you've heard the adage, it's like an elephant, you know, you've just got to do it one bite at a time. You know, at the same time, we can have multiple jobs going, you know, with 24 staff across, we provide seven day a week coverage, having 24 staff, you know, there's always an iron in a fire somewhere. And what we do is our methods and our mission is just to keep kids safe. And sometimes, you know, if there's a child at risk, sometimes you have to sacrifice some evidence. Maybe you have to not let that investigation run as long as you would normally like to, because that person could have access to their own children. They could be involved in child-related employment, that type of thing. So we have to make judgment calls to do that sort of thing. And everyone has their own self-motivation, has their own ethics when it comes to that type of thing. So I guess I don't have to do a great deal in that space to motivate people because they're all there for the right reasons. You know, we have a bit of a saying that you saved a kid today. 
And if you save one child, well, then it's 100% worth it. I couldn't imagine a more satisfying feeling locking up a crook and at the same time protecting a child and you know a child is safe. It's extremely satisfying. I guess the troops take a lot of satisfaction in it because they work on these people. But when, when they turn up and they knock on the door to do a search warrant or they go on somebody because the, you know, the crook thinks they're coming to have sex with a 14-year-old girl, I use the expression, you know, the colour drains out of their face. When you know, six detectives get out of cars and, and grab them, the troops will be able to tell you better than I can about what that feeling is, but it's certainly a sense of satisfaction because you know that there's another person there that you've got off the streets and you're potentially making other kids safe because, mate, as I mentioned before, if they're talking to us, you know, we don't know who else they're talking to. I always tell people there's nothing more satisfying than putting a pair of handcuffs on a pedophile. My name is Natalie Stacheski. I'm a detective sergeant attached to Sex Crime Squad Child Exploitation Internet Unit, and I have been in the police force for about 12 years. When you got out of Goulburn at the academy, did you think you'd be in this role you're in now? Yes and no. I've always found myself drawn towards victim crime. I know a lot of police out there are interested in the ganglands, in drugs and things like that. For me, victim crime was always something that drew me to and had my full attention. Um, I found myself working in Southwest for the first 10 years of my career, both at Liverpool and Kamsey, which are quite busy stations in themselves. I spent seven years in the detective's office at Kamsey and came across a lot of child abuse matters, historical sexual assault matters, where I found my passion. I recall doing a historical sexual assault matter that had a great result and that kind of concreted my passion for child sexual abuse, so to speak. What's it like after a long operation where it's intricate, complex, there's plenty of risk? What's it like when you achieve an arrest? I've had number of investigations, I've had homicides, but I've never gotten more satisfaction out of putting those handcuffs on someone that's just attended to either thinking that they'll go in to meet a mother with a nine or 10 year old child to engage in sexual activity or someone who's attending to meet a 13 year old for the purpose of engaging in sexual activity. So that moment of realisation on their face and you having to put those handcuffs, it's like you get adrenaline and they get adrenaline. It's just passion. I, can't, I, I cannot put it into words. I can't tell you the excitement you get out of it. You have to have passion to be in it. It's not the type of work that you just come across and you just do it for the sake of doing it. To be able to love it and be good at it, you have to have some passion and drive behind it. And our main drive is saving kids. It means that we save one child today. That's one child that's safer. Do you remember the first pedophile that you handcuffed? I do, actually. It was very, very early on. When I, I started in the unit in August of 2020 and I kind of said to myself, I'm just going to keep my head down and I'm just going to work the hardest that I can and just learn as much as I can from everyone in the office. And it was someone that's already been sentenced and he was a deputy principal of a school and it's not the one that's currently known. It's a, a different one. He didn't have a lot of media exposure, but that was my first ever offending pedophile that I rested in the unit and I just recall he was chatting we left one of the operatives in the office to um, communicate with him whilst we stormed through the door of the school he was working at and he was 
offending whilst at work and that was the first thing that sticks with me and that's how my passion and career started and has just continued in this unit because these guys said that think they've got a secure internet link that they're invisible they can do whatever they like and suddenly real world comes through the door what are the reactions like when you grab one it's mixed i remember one of them once said to me and i I genuinely just wanted to know why like what are the chances of you blindly just coming to this meet location thinking that you're going to meet and he said to me it's a 50 50 chance i'm either going to go to jail or i get to engage in sexual activity with a 13 year old so he said the odds are pretty good it's a 50 50 chance so that's how it's been explained to me from their perspective but mr goddard touched on it prior it's one of those things that you have to maintain your cool you have to be professional regardless of why they're there and we all know how the public perceives that and how and you can't allow your personal feelings take over doing the actual job and what's required to bring these people to justice. Remembering that if I do something to jeopardise this investigation or this court result, I'm the reason that he might be able to offend against another child after. So I'm going to keep my personal opinions to myself, my personal feelings to myself, and I have a job to do. And if it means that I get to do it and someone doesn't have to, then that's what drives me and makes me do these arrests in the best possible way. There's your first arrest. What's been your best arrest, the best operation you've been involved with that you can talk about that's completed through the courts and so forth? There's a number of them that I can speak about, but the two that really stick in my mind is where actual children have been saved and removed that I can talk about. A lot of the times with these offenders, it's a little bit like your drug dealers. They need to have some sort of a street cred. So the same as pedophiles, a lot of them would tell you online that one, they've either offended against children or they're about to offend. It doesn't necessarily mean that they've done it, but they just need to appear that they have some sort of credibility to be able to, because ultimately you're on the same page, you're not judging each other, you're there for the same purpose, and that is to exploit children online or take part in engaging in sexual activity with children. So... A lot of them will tell you that they have offended in the past and thankfully we are in the space that I guess we find the ones that maybe are thinking about it. That's why they're starting to talk online and we get them prior to offending. That's why we're so proactive online and I feel like our work is so important because we're that buffer. We get them before they're offended, they're put on the register and they're monitored at a lot closer. I think it's a lot sadder if you get them once they're already offended. Yes. You speak of your successes with a big smile on your face. Clearly, you love this work. It feels very worthwhile and purposeful. I do. I enjoy it. I I don't get up in the morning and think, oh, God, I have to go to work today. I get up in the morning. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do today? Like, what's today going to bring? Because it's something different every single day. Yeah. You mentioned one of those case studies you might want to just tell us now, like one of those days where you just you come to work and something amazing happened. So take us through one of those. Yeah, well, I'll talk about one. So we commenced engaging with a male online, and at the time we were a female purporting to be a mother with a child, and he was purporting to be a single male who was interested in both children and adults. So 
during the conversation, he continued uh, mentioning that he had offended against two children. We engaged him over the weekend and given the operation was quite quick, we identified him and located him. So we didn't allow him to, so to speak, meet us in person because the risk was too high for him because he was mentioning that he was saying having access to these children and he was having contact access with these children. So I recall um, knocking on his door and again making the same admissions that he had contact offended and um, we were able to locate the two children and unfortunately there had been one of them had been contact offended against he was subsequently charged with number of serious offenses contact offenses and sentenced to i believe about eight years in jail that was one where two children were rescued and there's a another one similar sort of investigation it was online offending he was trying to get street cred as well said he had a daughter and had been offending but what we actually found that he'd been um, facilitating the abuse of children in the Philippines so together with the Philippine police um, three children were rescued two mothers were charged and he was charged as well those are the ones where I feel real children were saved and removed from harm I can talk about endless investigations we've done where offenders have been arrested and wanting to come and meet children but thankfully so far I would say a large number of them have not we haven't had any information or evidence to suggest that they've contact offended against a real children they were dabbling they were testing the waters and we might have been that child that they were trying to offend against what's your message to people out there who might be thinking of doing this heinous activity grooming kids online what's your message to them about what will happen what's your message ultimately that we're there we're present we're not stopping anytime soon and we will try to do anything in our power to continue battling this crime that's against children we will continue asking for more resources and trying to get more people in this field and we'll be bigger and better than ever so we're there we're not stopping anytime soon a final word from the boss some advice for parents what can parents do i mean is it safe locks is it monitoring what should parents do to keep their kids safe i, I guess one of the prominent things to do is have open conversations with your kids and have them often start talking to your child regularly about their online activities who they're interacting with what they're talking about and that type of thing so I think one of the most important things from our perspective is be approachable if your child needs help. Sometimes kids may be feeling reluctant to come forward and tell you about what's happening in the online space for them because they think that they might get punished or they might, you know, have their devices taken away. The first, I, I guess, one of the first things, you know, parents think is, right, okay, well, you're grounded on taking this off of you and the kids are without their mobile phone. So it, it may make them more secretive. You know, it may make them more reluctant to come forward about the, using their devices and telling parents that they're online. So we want them to be approachable and we want them to be sort of pragmatic about the whole thing. We don't want them to sort of overreact and that type of thing. That was Detective Chief Inspector Chris Goddard from Strikeforce Trawler. In a moment, we go to the New South Wales Police Force Academy. But now, a message from our sponsor. There are many reasons to choose a term deposit with Police Bank. Whether you're planning a holiday, saving for your first or second property, buying a new car, paying school expenses, or simply just saving for a rainy day, 
Police Bank has a range of term deposits starting from periods of six months, so you can choose a term deposit that suits you. This segment is sponsored by Charles Sturt University, providing education for police and law enforcement. Welcome back to the New South Wales Police Academy. It's 7am and the recruits of Class 357 are receiving an impromptu lesson on communications from Protocol Instructor Sergeant Tony Wade. Yes, Adam is here. Every class gets, every, gets exactly the same speech, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this, is, this is exactly what I see and have been seeing all this week. People do. This kind of exchange has played out on the academy campus at Goulburn over the past 15 years that Sergeant Wade has been doing this job. But today is very different. The biggest story of the year is about to break. The attestation of Class 357 will be Tony Wade's last. Yes, I did hear some news, Mr Wade. One yes, it's true. Once. Mm. So when's your last class? Tomorrow? No, 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 not tomorrow. You're not getting in your leave before you leave. No way. <laughs> <laughs> that and your skyrocket. We are getting you 100%. Yeah. Probably even going to cancel your RLDs. I guess this really puts an extra, I don't know, a layer on this one. And, and I wouldn't like to say anything about that. Others will, don't worry. Us. Yeah, we'll talk. I'm, I'm sure they'll talk about me, but not to me. Well, generally what happens here, I'm a bit of a mushroom. Yeah. Because I guess it's a bit like your mentor, Bill White. When he left, his influence continues and so will yours. Um, I hope so. I'm sure it Posit will. Pos oh, it's too late now to try and, to try and claw back what you've already nice said. <laughs> <laughs> the last five years. Yeah. I'm keeping it absolutely dead quiet. Nobody knows. You no, just, you've just told the media, so it's yeah, a bit of, but I'll, I'll right, definitely right. keep it secret until I, I podcast. But all right. No, I think you, sh you should be very proud of what you've done. And thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think the guys—they may not tell you how much they love you, but they love you a little bit. They love to hate me. Academy operations manager, Superintendent Nick Hallett, will miss his mate Wadey. Feared revered for through the course, but in the last week. You're the champion because you get them to the Friday parade day. That's exactly right. Mm. They wouldn't come near you in the first two weeks. No, no. I'm their I'm their ticket to freedom on Friday, and they know that. Mm. The Friday parade marks the end of the 16 weeks of session two at the academy. Soon, the recruits will be probationary constables working at their first stations, putting their lessons to use in the real world. Meanwhile, life at the academy will go on without Mr. Wade. There'll be new recruits to shape and a new protocol instructor to do it. Sergeant William O'Brien is shadowing Mr. Wade in the final run-up to attestation. Looking forward to it. Big shoes to fill. They call it a shadow. It's certainly yep. a big shadow. Very it's big shadow. Yep. I think 40, 40 attestations now. Sergeant Wade's done. He's known by a lot of police around the state that I've worked with. I was actually talking to a class just earlier and a lot of the things that happened down here is mentoring them, guiding them, and um, getting them ready for the real world, the real out on the street, dealing with um, other senior police and how the job actually works. So this is where it all starts. You're pretty young, just a little bit of snow on the roof there. Where have you been uh, working? At the moment, I'm attached to South Sydney. 
Um, I started at um, Asheville in 2002, and I've worked at um, Mount Druitt, Redfern, uh, Polair, and uh, now back to South Sydney, which is a mascot merged command. Yeah, how important... I mean, you've been through the academy, you've yep. seen how it operates, now you're doing this. How important is that to the day-to-day when you're out there? It instills a lot of discipline. Um, I started when I was 19. So obviously I was 19, fresh out of school, um, not much, too much life experience. You're out of your comfort zone straight away, day, day one. Sergeant O'Brien says the academy provides a form of psychological conditioning. He brings a lot of experience from general duties policing. You could rock up to four or five jobs which are really, really intense. You may see some horrific things that people only see have maybe never or once in their life and you may see three in one day. And then you go to your next job, which might just be a simple neighbour dispute, and you've got to go from that 100 back down to zero to speak to that member of the public. And that member of the public has no idea where you've been to in the last three or four hours or the day before. Mr Wade has got a very unambiguous profile and a, and a way of doing things. Is it a little intimidating stepping into those shoes? Huge, yeah. Or, a tad intimidating, big shoes to fill. Are you picking up any of his mannerisms or things that are going to be useful? Things that are going to be mannerisms, maybe not. <laughs> I'm not sure that does. But are definitely things that are going to be useful. <laughs> Some of the uh, advice that Sergeant Wade's already given me, um, how you have to mould yourself into your own drill sergeant protocol officer, how you're going to um, get across to some people. And everyone's different. Like out on the street, you speak to certain people, some people take on advice or take on uh, based on different language you might have or the way you speak to them. And obviously it's the same here with students. You're going to have students who are fresh out of school, 18, 19 years old, and we're going to have people come down who have already done two or three careers, they're 45, and they're starting here at the bottom again. So obviously that's life experience. But yeah, you have to adapt to the people that you're speaking to. Mm. Um, Sorry, but you seem too nice. You want to come out on the program? (laughs) So, how is Sergeant William O'Brien going? Will's not new to this role in terms of uh, he's been around in protocol and drill for a long time and we've worked together on on parades. He also brings with him uh, a world of operational experience, recent operational experience, which is our policing students find incredibly valuable. Um, yes, he's going to be a completely different protocol officer than, than what I am, but um, I think with his skills and experience, he's going to bring something completely new to the table and be uh, incredibly successful. Tony Wade has put the finishing touches to Class 357. Now they're ready, or not, for their attestation parade. I guess if you haven't said it now, is there much left you can say to them? No, there's not, but this parade will be, even though it's always a journey that we go on together, because we've all got to be on the parade ground together on the Friday, that's a, that's a given. They now know that that will be my last parade. We're all going to leave the academy at exactly the same time. So now we have even, a, uh, if you like, a, a stronger bond than I have had with any other class in the past. Can I throw your hat in the air? No. <laughs> <laughs> I had my opportunity back when I started. It's, 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 it's their turn. That's protocol instructor Sergeant Tony Wade on the final days of his service. This segment was sponsored by Charles Sturt University, providing education for police and law enforcement. As always, it's been a pleasure to bring you this episode of Inside the New South Wales Police Force. Next week, we bring you a twist in the long-running mystery of Lost at Sea, The Black Bone. But you asked me back then, 
what if it's not Donald? What's our plan B? And I just shrank with horror at that at that thought, but said to you, well, you just keep going. This is what the police do. You just don't stop. You keep going. This podcast was sponsored by Police Bank. To find out more about any of our products discussed on today's episode, speak to us on 131 728 or visit policebank.com.au because banking with Police Bank means banking where you belong. Inside the New South Wales Police Force podcast is produced by Piccolo Podcasts and Media Productions. Host Adam Shan, producers Andrew Mensel and Courtney Besgrove. For New South Wales Police, Amy Hosking, Christian Schweitzer, Sergeant Emma Key, Sergeant Megan Knight and Senior Constable Ash Bold. Original music by Anthony Bray and the New South Wales Police Force Band.